Orange performs more than 20,000 patient-related transports per year. In addition to critical care land ambulances, Orange has a fleet of helicopters and airplanes. We refer to them as rotor wing and fixed wing vehicles. In order to provide our essential service, we employ approximately 625 employees across the province of Ontario. About 20% of them are pilots who fly rotor wing or fixed wing aircraft. Most members of the public are quite familiar with Orange's rotor wing operations. They often see news stories of the helicopter landing on a highway or at a local helipad to deliver the patient to the care they need. But many are surprised to learn that a majority of our transports occur in Northern Ontario, where we utilize our fixed wing fleet to fly long distances in order to provide much needed access to care. When looking at our fixed wing fleet, Orange owns eight Pilatus PC-12 airplanes. On a daily basis, four of the aircrafts are in operation. One from our Timmins base, one from our Sioux Lookout base, and two from our Thunder Bay base. Today, we're diving deep into the life of a pilot, specifically our fixed wing pilots. Phil Kim sits down with Captain Krista Wallace and Captain Paul Eric to discuss the work they do. I'm Rachel Scott, and welcome to Orange Pulse. My name is Krista Wallace. I am a fixed wing captain based out of Thunder Bay, and I've been with Orange for two and a half years. So is this something you pictured yourself doing from like a young age? I did not know. I initially started at Lakehead University doing a biology course, oh. and I worked in my off times between um, the school year at Quetico Park, doing natural heritage assisting, and uh, I thought that that was the stream that I wanted to follow. Um, but after three years of that, I decided I didn't want to do that, and uh, I chose to become a pilot. And so I started my pilot training usually later than a lot of people did, uh, around 22 years old. So. Mm -hmm. And how's that? Did you feel like you were playing like a lot of catch-up? Was it really stressful? Or? No, no, it wasn't really stressful. I grew up in a really aviation-concentrated um, family, uh, so it was... It was uh, the transition for me wasn't difficult at all. Any pilot will tell you that the financial strain of the first five years is astronomical. So any student really. Um, so now that I'm here at Orange, in the position that I'm in, um, I feel very grateful. And younger me would would uh, be pretty surprised probably. A lot of the places that I had to move to were very expensive to live and to purchase groceries and you know just general living conditions as well as you know, high living expenses, low wages. I've lived in Pickle Lake. Uh, I've lived in Sioux Lookout with Orange um, and uh, Thunder Bay. Mm -hmm. And of those three places, uh, which one was your favorite? Well, I have to say Thunder Bay because that's where I'm living now and that's where I'm actually from. But uh, my time that I spent in Sioux Lookout was awesome. I loved it there. The year right. and a half that I spent there was pretty fun. And the, the people at the Sioux Lookout base are uh, pretty great people. We kind of form a little family unit and, and we do a lot of outside activities. I say outside activities as in like outside of work. So there's lots of beach time, lots of time at other people's houses, potlucks and and things like that. Pickle Lake, where's that? It is at the end of the highway of 1117. It's the f it's one of the furthest north places that you can drive off of the 1117. So it's a live-in community of about 400 people and, and there are 
two hotels and one grocery store there basically. There is a large pilot community there so a lot of pilots will stay in the hotels as well as um, um, hydro workers and, and people going further up north. I grew up in northern Ontario so I was pretty well versed with the goings-on. It was basically like moving home for me kind of thing. Um, it was a, a culture shock for me to come down here and I spent some time in Aurelia and so that was a culture shock for Aurelia. me. Even living in Aurelia, yeah, up north, quote unquote, <laughs> right? It's pretty straightforward for fixed-wing aircraft because there are only certain airports that we can service and fly to and there are parameters that we have to have to cover. You know, the runway has to be a minimum of 2,800 feet long and um, there, of course, has to be a hospital there for us to pick up a patient, right? So the, the airports that we service are airports that I've been to many times before, and, and um, so there aren't any really places that, that caught me off guard. Mm -hmm. It is always a joy to go up to Fort Severn because we get to see uh, any time of year. We're always like on the lookout for polar bears or moose or anything and huge ice flows, and if it's a really clear day, you can see over the James Bay. It's very, it's a gorgeous part of of the country for sure. We see the Northern Lights almost every day. Oh wow. That's yeah. Beautiful. They're beautiful in the air. And the yeah. further north you go, they're even more intense. And it's lovely in the winter when the air gets more clear. Um, you can see them. Mm -hmm. They light up the sky. Yeah. They light up the But it's never like blinding, right? <laughs> they can be. Oh wow. Yeah. They're very bright, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. Pink and purple and green. It's lovely, yeah. Was there ever an experience that sort of caught you off guard or surprised you? What kind of caught me off guard was the magnitude of uh, communication and triaging and organization that goes into a call at Orange. So it's as if, you know, there's a big bucket of sand getting dumped into a sieve and there's all these things that have to go on before the one tiny little grain of sand pops out and we get a call in Thunder Bay that uh, asks us to weather check a Moosonee Kingston, for example. You know, there's tons of decision making that goes into that before we even become a part of it. So when I first started at Orange, that is kind of what took me off guard. Was there anything that you learned on the job particularly that like shifted your perspective or understanding of your position? I think as a pilot, you come into a flying position expecting to make a lot of hard decisions. Um, and so with Orange, what really solidified those types of decision making for me is not when the weather is really amazing and we accept the call or not when the weather is really horrible and we decline the call. It's all those, you know, blurred lines in the middle that uh, are the more difficult decisions that we have to make kind of on a daily basis. Like if the weather is uh, right at minimums and we've got a really far distance to travel, for example, two hours to fly up north and then another two hours to fly back down south to the hospital that the patient has to get down to. We have to take into consideration the four hours that it takes to complete the entire trip as opposed to, you know, just the time it takes to fly there. There's a lot of ground waiting and, and um, a lot of the paramedics spend time in the sending facilities and they spend a lot of time in the receiving facilities. So you know, we've, we've got to block off like a six to eight hour window of weather for the parts that we have to travel within Ontario. So, mm -hmm. And speaking of weather, was there ever like a case where you're like on your way somewhere and the weather has um, 
change in a way that you had to change your route and just like turn back? Or yeah, like absolutely. That? Actually, recently uh, myself and crew were in Pickle Lake and the original call was to do a new Osenberg, which is about 40 minute drive outside of Pickle Lake. Uh, but uh, the airport is Pickle Lake, so we went and we were supposed to drop the patient off in Sioux Lookout. But there are thunderstorms in the area, quite severe thunderstorms in the area, and uh, we were sitting on the ground waiting for the patient to come, and I was looking at the weather, and the weather in Thunder Bay was good, but it was also deteriorating. And so I called the OCC and requested that we get the receiving facility changed to Thunder Bay. So effectively declined the Sioux Lookout call in Pickle Lake, um, and then brought the patient over to Thunder Bay for weather purposes. People in Southern Ontario haven't traveled too far from Southern Ontario, and so they sometimes don't realize the vast area that is Ontario. Ontario is a huge province, and, and you know, out of Thunder Bay, we travel thousands of miles every day when we're on shift, so. Yeah, and we service communities that um, don't have any road access. So Orange is, Orange and the SA carriers are, you know, some of the only points of contact and, and healthcare that these communities have. Some don't even have nursing stations. I want to take a quick moment to give you a bit more information about our fleet. In addition to our fixed-wing fleet, Orange also works with standing agreement carriers, also known as SA carriers. We contract three organizations with fixed-wing fleets to transport lower acuity patients. Our SA carriers are particularly useful in Northern Ontario, where they enable access to care for lower acuity patients in areas where there's less resources. You may be surprised to know that last year, our SA carriers were responsible for more than 30% of our patient-related transports. And now, back to the episode. What do those communities look like? Within, uh, so there's an airport, of course, and then within the community there are roads. And there's, there are stores and, and um, you know, shops and, and schools, of course. There's a, uh, the grocery store called the Northern Store, so that basically carries everything that that community needs from, you know, computers and uh, internet modems all the way to diapers or, you know, food, things like that, that. everything. Yeah. yeah, so um, maybe that's only the one shop. Also clothes and things like that, the Northern Store carry there. So, you know, Orange and SA carriers are really the only um, lifeline when it comes to that sort of thing. So if you get sick up north, an airplane is the only way that you're going to get to the hospital. It's kind of scary. It is really scary. Do you remember there ever being any... So I know you're like focused on like front of the line stuff. So mm -hmm. you're focused on what happens in the cockpit. Is that what it's called? Yeah, or, yeah, cockpit. Oh my God, I'm right. Or right. if there are two women flying together, we call it um, the hen pen. The he I love that. Yeah. Was there ever any uh, a scenario that you call that was like, that was like a close call, I guess? in terms of like how quickly you have to like transfer the patient? Uh, there was a, a situation where we picked a very sick patient up out of a airport and they were transferred to the aircraft and we took off and the paramedics 
told us to turn around and land right away. So we landed and they were doing CPR and he was tubed and vented before and so then they extubated him and they had um, you know they were bagging him and they asked me for ex they asked us the pilots for extra hands and uh, so I was back there bagging a patient while they were you know doing the necessary things that they needed to do and then the paramedics got the patient stable um, and then we took off and went back to uh, the receiving facility. Um, so that was a pretty crazy experience for me. That had never happened. But uh, I talked to some of the other pilots, and, and a lot of the pilots have similar experiences. It's very interesting, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you've seen it all, so you're so everything. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, a day that isn't interesting is a good day. When you have airplanes and you know, you're dealing with sick people, you want a non-interesting day. Boring days are good days. Mondays. We want every day to be Monday, not Friday. <laughs> kind of thing. Oh my My name is uh, Paul Eric Bindrup. Everybody calls me PE. Uh, I've been with Orange since uh, March of 2009, so a little over 11 years. And I am a captain on the PC-12 as well as a training captain and a check pilot. So I do flight tests as well. When did you know you wanted to become a pilot? I was five years old actually when I did my very first flight in an airplane. Um, and I don't remember much from being five years old, but I do remember that flight. Uh, it was a family friend that took me up and, uh, I just knew like air airplanes from that moment on and in life were everything. And it wasn't until a little bit later on in life that, uh, I actually got the, the money together to do my commercial training. Mm -hmm. Um, can I ask like, what were you doing in the meantime before you, um, actually went to school for aviation? Um, yeah, a little bit of everything uh, from uh, construction. I actually went to uh, university. I got a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology, so I was headed down that road for a little while. Um, worked some construction, summertime jobs. Um, ended up actually getting a job working for Michelin Tire, building tires, just uh, manual labor. Um, mm -hmm. until I could get enough money together to, uh, to actually go to flight school. Um, when I first started uh, flying, it was just, uh, just for, for the enjoyment of flying. So I got my private pilot's license, started that training. Um, wasn't very uh, far into the training when I did my first solo flight. Um, and I just remember, my memory of that is basically all adrenaline. Um, your your safety blanket or your you know the the comfort of having an instructor next to you is now gone, and you're all by yourself. And as soon as the plane lifts off the the ground, just realizing, well, I'm, I'm committed now. And and there's a great deal of emotion that that kind of goes into that, you know. Yeah, and now that you're a trainer today, how do you help ease that transition between having like um, the trainee? like you being there beside the trainee versus like them transitioning into flying alone. Like how do you ease that transition? 
um, a great deal of the training that I do here at Orange um, is, uh, is in terms of initial training is getting fairly low time pilots um, in, in a position to, to uh, first pass a flight test and then to be able to get out online uh, to do the medevac work as a first officer. A lot of uh, the first officers that we get have, have never flown a PC-12. It's a fairly high performance airplane. And uh, so to get them ready uh, to be able to go out there and do the job, uh, for me as the instructor, uh, there's a great deal of uh, uh, satisfaction that comes when they get to that point. For us on the um, fixed wing side of things, the COVID-19 sort of, well, it threw training in general kind of on its ear. Uh, because all of the training that we do, uh, fixed wing and rotor, is done in the United States. So when they closed the border, uh, pretty much forced us to rethink our, our training program. For us on the fixed wing side, um, that transition was a lot easier. We've been using simulators to do our training for the, for the past five or six years. Uh, but prior to that, we did all of our flight training on the aircraft. Um, so for us uh, to go back to doing flight training on the aircraft really was just a step back uh, uh, to what we knew. Whereas uh, on the rotor side, they've had to work a little bit harder to make that transition because it's not something they've done before. Uh, it's always been done in the, uh, in the simulator. So um, it's mm -hmm. ironic that um, uh, I can make training more real in a simulator than I can in the airplane where I actually have to simulate things. I can't actually turn the aircraft off when we're in it in the air. So, Speaking of simulations, do you ever, you know, just for fun, come up with impossible scenarios? Like, have you ever made any one of your trainees just fly through a tornado or something like that? <laughs> what we do try to do, one of, the, one of the fun things about the simulator is that I can load up um, compound failures. Um, so as a, a as a pilot is working through a scenario and and they're doing well, um, some sometimes we'll add failures on top of failures on top of failures. Um, it's not so much to, to see them break as it is to see see their decision making processes. And so that's a pretty regular thing for us uh, to do that because we want them. It's not so much about. Um, how they react or how they perform as how they decide to perform. So if they're making good decisions, um, they might still crash the airplane in the simulator, uh, but that's more me than them. So as long as they're ma make, making all the right decisions along the way, um, mm -hmm. then that's really what we're after. What draws you to being a pilot for Orange as opposed to being a pilot anywhere else? Um, again, you know, I really wasn't all that familiar with medevac flying when I first for, first uh, launched into this career. When I first started flying the PC-12, it, it was doing uh, scheduled um, service uh, up north, based out of Thunder Bay. Um, the company that I was working for went under, and so I started working for uh, one, of, one of our standing agreement carriers, Air Bravo. And uh, that was my introduction to medevac. And what I realized was that um, it was uh, kind of another whole um, world of flying, the, not just taking people from point A to point B um, because they had to be, be there for some reason or they're just traveling in general, uh, 
but that I, w- I was now a really uh, integral part of, of somebody needing to get from point A to point B. Um, I became, as a medevac pilot, uh, uh, an important part of their day, basically, when, when quite often they're, they're having a pretty bad day. Um, so it's, uh, again, in terms of job satisfaction, now, not only do I get to fly airplanes, but I get to help people. Um, and that's, that's uh, become a very, very big part of what I do, for sure. Do you by any chance have any personal examples or personal stories that stick out in your head of a time where you felt like you really helped someone in a meaningful way on the job? There's lots and lots of stories, but there's one that I uh, remember the most was a girl. This probably goes back about six or seven years. I had a little girl on board the plane that we had to take uh, to, uh, to Ottawa. She had broken her leg. Um, I think she was about 12 at the time. Uh, it was a ATV accident, and uh, she she was in a lot of pain and she was scared. She'd never flown on an airplane before. It was just a whole lot of bad going on in her day. Um, and of course, everybody around her is telling you know being great. The medics were awesome, telling her that everything is going to be okay. And as we got her loaded up in the airplane. You could just sort of see the fear in her eyes. And one of the things that we have, we've we've had for a a long time, are these little stuffed animals um, that um, we call them the flying lions. Uh, It's just a little small, stuffy, uh, pretty insignificant by most standards. But um, I've always carried one in my bag for kids, just in case we get a kid on board. And uh, the, the, this particular day I had one. And um, so once we got her loaded up on the airplane, I, I dug this thing out of my flight bag and gave it to her. Um, and you could just see uh, in her eyes that uh, the sincerity of all of the people that were saying it's going to be okay suddenly kind of made sense for her. Um, her demeanor changed a little bit. She calmed down a little bit. She started to actually believe us that it was going to be okay. We were going to get her where she needed to be. They were going to, you know, doctors were going to be able to, to help her out. Um, so that little stuff, stuffy has kind of become uh, a go-to for me, especially with kids. There's been a few adults I would like to give them to as well, but especially for the kids. And they're kind of symbolic for me in that, uh, you know, when I'm, on the job, I'm have I'm having a good day because I, I get to fly airplanes. That I'm meeting people on a bad day, and so that little stuffy for me kind of represents that. When it comes to seeing uh, difficult situations like that, how do you prepare yourself emotionally for that, and how do you like train um, other people to be emotionally prepared for that? Um, well, part of that. I don't think you can ever get rid of the emotion completely. One of the things that Orange does uh, in order to not influence my decision making in in accepting a a call uh, is that we don't know anything about the patient uh, until I've accepted a call. So I'm I'm looking at the call call just in terms of uh, safety, uh, weather, uh, runway conditions, all that kind of thing. And then once I determine that it's safe to, to go, 
Um, they, they still don't like to give us much information, but because um, they don't want that to influence my decision making. But it's a small aircraft. Once we get there, uh, the pi pilots help load the patient. In fact, we direct the loading of the patient, um, literally physically lifting them into the airplane. So we can see um, if it's a burned victim, we can see that they're burned. If it's a, a patient on a ventilator, uh, we could see that if it's a, a child, um, you know, they're right there. We can't we can't ignore it. So the trick really is not to um, not to get rid of those emotions, but to just use our training um, and be able to say, okay, now I need to kind of put that over here uh, to one side and uh, put my pilot cap back on. And as empathetic as I might be towards that that uh, person's situation, I now have a job to do. Um, so let's go be a pilot and get this person where they need to be. Um, and then my training, of course, comes in there as well. And, and uh, we're able to, to, to go and, and do that, get the job done. Um, it's, uh, it's, again, one of the cool th things about being a pilot, about uh, flying, is just that we never really know what we're going to see any given day um you know when we're up there uh, of all of the the country that we we fly over whether it's up, up uh, in fort severn on the hudson's bay coast where it's a, a lot of tundra uh, some of the pilots have even seen polar bears um i i'm still waiting uh to see my polar bear but um the the view and the country that we cover and all of the lakes and the expanse of it all, all the way down to southern Ontario and flying into Toronto Island where we fly right by the uh, CM Tower. Um, as varied as that is, you just never know what you're going to see. And, and the one day we took off out of uh, Sioux Lookout, uh, it, it was an evening flight, uh, the sun was setting, and uh, we flew up through a, a layer of cloud at about 10,000 feet. And all of a uh, sudden, sudden I realized that the sunset was below us. Uh, so as the sun was setting, it was reflecting on the cloud we had just flown through. And I've never, you're always looking up at a sunset, but I'd never seen one from above. And it, it only lasted uh, about 10 seconds, and then it was kind of gone and behind us. But uh, just really, really pretty. Um, you just mm. you just never know. Pilots are a funny bunch. We, uh, you know, it, if you go on any pilot's Facebook page, that's the stuff they're posting. They're posting pictures of sunsets and storms and runways and doing time-lapse photography and flying over, uh, you know, lakes. And that's just, uh, it's, it's what we do. It's, it's why we do it. We're very much in tune, tune with seeing those things too. So, and every once in a while, you, I've got it over 10,000 hours in the air right now. And, tomorrow I could go flying and see something new. So it's, it's always fresh. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Throughout this season, we'll focus on different people at our organization who make an impact on the lives of patients. This podcast was brought to you by Orange Air Ambulance. This episode was produced by Rachel Scott and Philip Kim in support with our wonderful staff on Team Orange.